the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, my co-host Larry Dersham, and I have a great show for you. We again just got done with a a jam-packed week of news, all kinds of headlines on almost every topic under the sun, but we have a very special guest with us for the first half of the show tonight. Larry, who do we have on the line? Uh, Dr. Klaus Wren is an internationally recognized political thinker who has served as professor of politics, chair of his department, and director of the Center for the Study of Statesmanship at the Catholic University of America. He was president of the Philadelphia Society, co-founder and president of the Academy of Philosophy and Letters, and co-founder and chairman of the National Humanities Institute. He is the author of many books and has, for 35 years, been co-editor of Humanitas. Dr. Wren has just come out with a new book titled The Failure of American Conservatism and the Road Not Taken that we'll be discussing tonight. Welcome to the program, class. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You know, you talk about conservatives being in, in crisis, conservatism being in crisis. Lots of people listen to the radio and the news, and they watch it on their devices, and they hear these terms tossed about. What does that actually mean? Maybe you can explain it in a kind of a more streamlined way when we talk about conservatism being in crisis. Uh, It has to do with there being a tension between, in some cases, ultimately incompatible ideas. There's a lack of uh, philosophical clarity, and I think that can be traced back to something that happened in the post-war period. Uh, There was a surge of uh, intellectual conservatism just after the Second World War. The early 1950s, in particular, Uh, gave evidence of real intellectual vitality. We remember names like Russell Kirk, perhaps Robert Nisbet, Peter Vierek. I could go on and mention many names. But uh, it was in 1955 with the founding of the National Review by Bill Buckley that uh, what came to be known as the conservative movement took shape. And the um, National Review had a great deal of intellectual diversity, uh, and they had some high-voltage intellectuals um, write for the magazine. But something uh, rather um, um, deficient was present from the very beginning, and that was that Bill Buckley and his senior editors were essentially interested in creating a political movement. 
they liked ideas and they had bright people writing for the magazine. But there was an assumption that the ultimate payoff was to win political victories. <clears throat> and uh, that is, it is, they assumed that what was important was not so much ideas for their own sake, so that you would strive for the greatest uh, amount of intellectual clarity. No, the important thing was to create a, a kind of ideology that would serve as sort of intellectual cover for a political movement. I'm not going to go into uh, the details on that, but I would argue that when in the 1980s movement conservatives started to talk about the triumph of conservatism because Ronald Reagan had won a great victory and uh, the Republicans were strong in the Senate and so on, I could uh, say that I could uh, pretty much shake my head because I knew that what ultimately determines the direction of a society is not politics, however important it can be in the short run. No, what decides the future is the culture. And by right. the culture, I mean a broad range of influences, the universities, the movies, the publishing industry, and, of course, the media. They shape the imagination of people, how they view the world. And I could tell in the 1980s, that triumph, that uh, conservatism was very far from triumphing because the trends in the culture were going in a much different direction. So that the woke phenomenon that we have now or the cancel culture that we have now is just another variant, a very extreme variant of something that was strongly present in the culture at that time. Hence the confusion that we're talking about, the crisis of conservatism. People are, uh, many are surprised about this. Where did that come from? Hadn't we gotten over the counterculture and the new left in the 1960s and 70s? Um, Aren't things turning around? Well, I think that movement conservatives are not very well equipped to understand what has happened and how really bad the current situation is. Right. Klaus, would you say one of the reasons the left has been so successful is they have very skillfully and relentlessly infiltrated leadership positions in government, media, education, labor unions, for example, the teacher unions, and even corporate America? That they have certainly done, and they have done it partly because they've had a some of them, uh, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, for example, in the 1930s, 40s, uh, he had the idea that if you want to remake society uh, and make it a leftist regime, you have to have a march through the culture. I can tell you where they had, the, where they had uh, gotten those ideas, but they were correct about this. Uh, if you want to change the society um, – at the deeper levels. There is no substitute for moving through the churches, moving through the universities, etc., etc. Now, some of the early conservatives in the 1950s, certainly Russell Kirk, they understood this. They hadn't gotten that idea from Gramsci, certainly. There were other sources for the same point of view. But movement conservatism, under the guidance of Buckley's National Review, for all of its brilliance and for all of its uh, polemical edge and so on, 
didn't quite understand what ultimately makes human beings tick. And what makes their uh, lives tick is how their imaginations work. It's how the culture has shaped the way they view the world. And if you do not have any sort of control over that, if you are not influencing the culture more than anything else, you will lose, even though you may have short-term political victories here and there. Yeah, you know, um, when you talk about the culture being crucial and political victories and short-term and long-term, you know, it leads me to the, the question I know a lot of people are answering as a practical matter is, how are these continuing trends that you're seeing in the, gosh, in the media, entertainment, but also in book publishing, in churches, in universities? I mean, you know, we, we know Hollywood is a big social influencer, but universities and, and college campuses of, of all kinds, you know, how are those trends really preparing the way for more radicalization, if you will? Yeah, this is a very important question. Many American conservatives and people who even think of themselves as liberals are uh, paying attention to what is happening in even in the elementary schools. You have super radicals who want to have transvestites perform in front of kindergartners and elementary school kids, and they can see that there's something really weird about this, even diabolical about this. And so they, they think that we have to put, a, put an end to uh, this sort of propaganda, but they don't, that's a sort of an emergency attitude that they have. In order for something like this to change more deeply, you would have to have new school administrators, new teachers. And where are they supposed to come from? Well, you say, well, uh, don't they come from the universities? They get educated there. Yes, but who are educating them at the universities? My point is that a certain view of reality, a certain view of what is desirable and undesirable is imparted by the culture. And so Mm. the long and short of it is that there has to be a march through the culture. And how long does that take? Well, it takes a couple of generations if not longer. And what do you do in the meantime? And I would argue that you take emergency measures. They may be political in part, but if they're going to be political, you have to begin by performing a, uh, an analysis, a diagnosis of what is really wrong. And I'm submitting to you, and I'm arguing this more fully in the book, The Failure of American Conservatism, It is that you have to understand what makes human beings tick. I think that American uh, movement conservatives have had an almost simplistic view of the nature even of politics. Politics is a far more subtle thing than applying coercion to your opponents. Uh, That's a part of what politics is. But the people who control the imagination, like the media and the university professoriate and so on, They have the place locked down if there is no real competition to them for the imagination of people. Dr. Wynn, we're running out of time here, but Alexis de Tocqueville said in in his book, Democracy in America, liberty cannot be established or maintained without morality, nor morality without faith. So uh, I think faith is going to be a key and we've kind of lost that in our generation. And I'm sorry we are a little bit low on time, but uh, 
Yes. Uh, Wendy, would you like to ask me a We're at the end of the show. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we want to thank our listeners. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Highlights of the Silver Lining. Don't touch that dial after a short commercial break. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I am Wendy Patrick. Michael Friedersham and I are always looking for interesting stories that are relevant to uh, not only parents, but also teenagers. Uh, We looked at a couple of stories this week where it really seems to be that there are some companies that are wondering whether or not teenagers should have more access to, let's just say, the products that they market. And one of those has to do with transportation at its annual product event on Wednesday, Uber unveiled a new teen account feature. This would allow teens between the ages of 13 and 17 to hail rides and be in the car on their own. Now, it would also allow parents and guardians to monitor the teens remotely through the app, um, but it rolls out on Monday, May 22nd. It's going to roll out in more than a dozen areas, metro areas, in Canada and the United States, and those areas are going to include New York City, Atlanta, Dallas, and Houston. But that's just for starters. Larry, this has been promoted very broadly in terms of the plans to launch in other cities in the coming weeks and months. So who knows how long it'll be before it's coming to a jurisdiction near you. Now, this is a change because previously anybody under the age of 18 was not allowed to use Uber without being accompanied in the car by an adult. So uh, is this a good thing, a bad thing? How, how do you see this really changing the landscape of the, the freedom that young people already enjoy to some extent? Right. I think that um, this could be really handy uh, for teens, I guess it's between 13, if you're 13 to 17, uh, that need to get to school. Uh, they may need to get to jobs because I know uh, many people in that age group, especially, you know, 16, 17-year-olds, do have jobs. And to get – here's the big one for me, I think, to get safely home from uh, a party or an event. Uh, occasionally, we, we've known teens to drink or, or do other things, and they shouldn't. But you don't want them driving either. And uh, so I think it could be a good thing. And uh, I think there's some safety measures there put in place by Uber, right, Wendy? Well, there are safety measures. One of them is the parents being allowed to contact the driver directly, which is very, very important. You know, many of us use that Track My Ride uh, application. It's an option that you can use when um, when you're in an Uber. And, you know, it also said it's launching this nationwide phone number for anyone without the app to be able to use its service. And it's interesting because you can see, I mean, that would apply to to teens. It might also apply to helping older Americans who might not be used to navigating a smartphone. So it's really kind of catering to those that, for whatever reason, either don't have an app or don't have the Uber app 
installed. And, you know, if you don't have a device to begin with, you and I both know people that just have landlines. Um, this might be something that is, is very different. It's almost like it's expanding its services and expanding the range of those who can use its services. But here's one more thing. You know, they always, these kinds of moves always have to have lots and lots of safety aspects that have been thought through on the front end. Apparently only experienced and highly rated drivers will be eligible to complete trips with teens. So it won't necessarily even be open to everybody who drives for Uber. So isn't it interesting? Experienced and highly rated drivers. I suppose experienced means what? A number of years in the industry? How, how would that be used? To, uh, to sort of rank the drivers that are able to take teams? Well, one of the things I found in my research that uh, by that experience requirement, they said at least 100 trips, you know, driving for Uber. Ah. Uh, I don't know if that's a hard and fast uh, number of trips that the Uber driver has to drive. But one thing is interesting, Wendy, that Uber has never apparently they don't fingerprint their drivers. So they do background checks, apparently, but they don't fingerprint them. But uh, here's another, some, a couple other safety features. Uh, the teens, their smartphones, they can make encrypted audio recordings of the ride, and they have to have a PIN number. Once the parents give permission to set up this app, uh, the teens have to give a PIN number, and then the app will show the teen emergency options, and I think you've already mentioned this, Wendy, that parents can monitor the ride live on their own device, and they can call the, the Uber driver directly. The parents can call the Uber driver directly during the ride, say, hey, you're going the wrong direction, you know, bring my kid home or something like that. And uh, so there are some safety things. I had a couple other ideas. I mean, if you can record audio, why not put a video app in there too that the uber would be required to record video uh, of the ride perhaps and another potential problem i see is that the uber driver if they're taking home hopefully this would never happen but it may have happened in the past if they're taking home drunken or drugged teens especially girls home from a party or an event uh, you want to make sure that those teens are protected from the uber driver uh, and that's a huge concern yeah, you know, there, there are lots of concerns when you talk about teens. You mentioned the, the reality of, you know, teens drinking and, and so, I mean, adults drink too. You've seen, we, we've, we've all seen it happen. You get vulnerable no matter what age you are if you're compromised and you grab a ride. But um, one of the other I, I thought was interesting sort of um, fail-safe measures they're putting in, one of the other precautionary measures, is there's an option to remove the payment method if you want to block further rides. So you can yeah. imagine, like, parents taking advantage of this as well, trying to figure out, well, if this doesn't go well, we're going to try it as a pilot project. We're going to monitor the ride. Um, you can also remove the teen account to end their ride privileges if you're a parent and you have a teen account on your, on your app. Um, you also get – you can get a notification when a ride is requested, which would include the pickup the pick and the drop-off notifications. So I can see some teens, like, not using this because they wouldn't want their parents to know where they're going, what they're doing. And, you know, nobody True. wants to see that um, – you know, parents and nobody wants to see that. Obviously, you want good communication within families, but many parents just have to accept the reality that this actually it could be one of those things that, well, if the teen wants to use it, they will have to abide by these rules. 
Right. And uh, Uber apparently is expanding their services in other ways, too. And, he, and you may have already mentioned this. You can make a phone call. I remember when I used Uber, I had never used it before. And I put it in the um, request and I wasn't sure if they received it. And I wanted the ability to talk to a human being. But this now they're experimenting with actually you can make phone calls if you're not used to using a smartphone, the app. You can just call on your cell phone or whatever pick me up type of thing. And another thing is interesting. The teens can now order Uber Eats uh, for themselves or their family, but you cannot, at least the teens cannot order medications or alcohol that that'll, that'll be blocked. And uh, so there's so many people are so creative what they're coming up with um, the uses for these, um, uh, these vehicles to get them from point A to B. And teens that have approved teen accounts can bring other teens along with them as long as they are 13 or older. You know, it, it's such an interesting development because, you know, like you say, going to school, going to jobs, making sure that, you know, you have a safe ride home. I mean, we didn't have any of this with respect to taxis, or did we? You know, it, it, you kind of look and see what, what, did we, what did we have in place that's analogous in other areas. You just never saw kids hailing taxis. So you have to imagine yes. that, you know, you, you take a foray into, uh, into deciding that something is going to be available for teenagers. You wonder whether or not 13 is old enough to make some of these decisions. I mean, in today's world, what do you think? How, how should they come up with that number? And is 13 the magic number? Yeah, uh, I don't know how they came up with that. Um, you're still, I think, technically in middle school, most uh, teens of that age, and that's that's pretty young. But again, if the need, and you're right, Wendy, we never thought about that when it was when they, we just had taxis. But again, you never saw teens uh, using taxis. At least I haven't. So um, I, I think overall this is going to be a good thing, and they're rolling it out slowly. You know, these test cities, I noticed there were no cities in California off this initial list, uh, but I, that, that's going to change. And what I found out, too, that teens have technically been using Uber for years, even though they didn't have this program. And the other funny thing is, okay, so if you get a group of kids and you're supposed to verify the teen that has the PIN number, yeah, he's been approved by his parents. But how about all these other buddies of his that right. are coming in the car? How are, you, are they going to say, well, you, you got to prove that you're who you are and you've got permission? So that's going to be a, a little bit of a glitch for them, perhaps. Yeah, what's interesting is the, the list of cities where UberX teen is currently available, they include – Three cities in Ohio, um, Bloomington, Indiana. You, you, so you think it's not just like the biggest cities in the U.S. Uh, you do have Nashville, you do have New York City, Phoenix, San Antonio, Tucson. So Arizona, you got Texas, not yet in California. But one thing that they've been very consistent about is this is a program that is currently being rolled out in these exactly. initial cities. But the point is, it all goes well. The design and the hope and the plan is to open this up to other cities. So exactly, and there's one little point I wanted to get on a different topic really quickly. Uh, there's a a lot of the new car makers are trying to eliminate AM radio. Now many of you are hearing our program tonight on AM radio, although so the 
even though we're on FM and you can live stream it on uh, the Internet, too. But there's a bipartisan bill. It's called the AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act. Both Democrats and Republicans are on board. It's called AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act. And you can maybe chime into your local legislator, uh, the one that represents you, and say, please pass this act. And also you can go to the AnswerSanDiego.com and they tell you what to do, too, because we want to have the AM ability because if there's a storm or earthquake, I don't know about you, Wendy, the first place I turn is AM radio if there's an earthquake. What happened? It gets So that's what we're uh, – support that uh, act, if you would. Yeah, it's it's interesting um, you bring that up because some of us grew up with, you know, AM radio and, yes. you know, you, you, lots of people listening maybe don't even listen to the radio. They just take things on the um, – they listen to FM radio, I mean. They, you know, they just kind of take it at face value and don't remember all the different things that we used AM radio for. Well, we're dating ourselves, Larry, but what's new? So what is new we're going to be talking about next week. So join us to talk about the hottest highlights of this week to come. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with the silver lining. Have a wonderful week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.